Hey, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem Podcast, where we aim to help you, the big-hearted changemaker with a bold vision to build a business that gives you butterflies and a life that makes you want to high-five yourself. How? By addressing the interconnected nature of all that you do. From marketing to mindset and everything in between, we believe your business is more ecosystem than monoculture and that when it comes to creating sustainable success, it's all connected and there is no one-size-fits-all formula. Join us for conversations that embrace nuance, elevate the importance of empathy, and address the diverse and unique strengths that enable entrepreneurs to not just make money, but to make real lasting positive change in a regenerative and revolutionary way. Hey, hey friends, welcome back to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem. We are here today with Stephanie Lee. Stephanie started her business Club Monster to teach people how to get published in top tier media, not just once, but over and over again and use it to grow their business. She shows people that they don't need to be a business mogul or some celebrity to be featured. We all have a unique story and mission to share with the world. And Stephanie helps people, creators, online business owners, get the PR that they can use to impact their bottom line. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Okay, fun fact, mm-hmm. you are the very first cold pitch mm. that we have ever accepted and we're like, yes, let's get this Smarty Pants on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Sounds brilliant. So clearly, you know what you're doing. Exactly. What an honor. <laughs> <laughs> what a high compliment. Yeah. That was one of those emails where it's like, maybe I should break this down and make it into a template for my own business. Yes, I'm pretty (laughs) sure I started. So (laughs) thank you for that. Yeah, not the easiest thing in the world to land in someone's inbox that like, I mean, this is not like a massive podcast by any means, but I still get a ton of pitches from people who want to be on the podcast. And yeah, I mean evidence is right here Mm -hmm. that most of the time that the pitch isn't that compelling. And I just don't typically invite most people on. Maybe Dawn would, she's nicer than me. If she got got the pitches, she'd probably be like, let's do it. But I I don't know. I'm just a bit of a, I've got like a a really strong filter, Mm -hmm. especially around pitches because I've written them. And kudos to you for me. Thank you. Well, that's the thing too, right? Like we've all written those pitches and we've received them. So we kind of know how we would react to certain pitches and certain messages. So I try to take that in mind, like I'll adopt the the Shanti mindset and be like, okay, if I were reading or opening my inbox and I'd open this email, like what would I want to read? What would grab my attention? Because there's just so many messages that you would potentially get. And of course, like media, uh, media people forget about it. They get like hundreds of emails per day. So it's just like, first of all, adopting, like what is their state of mind when they're opening their inbox and they're like overwhelmed with all these emails, first of all. And then the second thing is just like, what subject line would, would they would compel them to open it? And then once they do, like what's going to keep grabbing them? So it's kind of like, and you guys probably know this already, it's just kind of like first thinking about it from that perspective of assume that they just have too much to do. They have Mm -hmm. too much to look at and sift through. Yeah. I mean, I I have to admit that uh, PR is like a mystical beast to me. I can imagine writing a cold pitch to a podcast. I haven't. Maybe that should be like a task for 2023 just to stretch my fear goal but yeah when someone's like featured in Forbes an entrepreneur and etc two things one I don't actually read those magazines or blogs so I don't 
I have, I have so many questions for you around like how this can really like help entrepreneurs in their businesses. But then I don't have the first inkling of how I would uh, approach getting getting myself into something that actually is like an authority building um, medium for entrepreneurs. But I like it when I see the like uh, proof bar, you know, as featured in these things. I'm like, oh yeah, cool. This is a person that I should at least look at. But I, yeah, I don't, for, I have, yeah. I have so many questions, so I'll just I'll stop there. But I just want to say I'm not surprised that your cold pitch email was so great since you help kind of, I know some known people, but also less known business people become known. That's, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, thank you. Like <clears throat> the first thing I'll say about cold pitching is that we all have to start somewhere too before we get super known. And earlier when you were introducing me, you know, it is something I firmly believe that you don't have to be this high powered business mogul with millions of followers. You don't have to have this super recognized name. Obviously those things help, but you know, even they had to start somewhere and cold pitching is obviously one of the most crucial skills um, to develop and have, especially now with so many creators, so many online businesses and how noisy the space can be everyone vying for attention and trying to get on different platforms and things like that. So it's, it's definitely one of those skills to sharpen, but I believe that one of the kind of mental barriers that might prevent someone from furthering that cold pitching skill is just this idea or this belief, like, Oh, I'm nobody, nobody wants to hear from me. I I don't know what I have to offer to these people. You know, I don't have this, X story. I didn't make a bajillion dollars. What do I say? So like the first thing is to really banish that idea that I don't, that you have to be this big kahuna to start cold pitching and even being in the media. That's definitely, definitely not true. I've definitely had clients who have never been visible anywhere Mm -hmm. and get them on places like Business Insider and Forbes. Mm -hmm. So kind of to your point, Don. Earlier, when you mentioned that you see other entrepreneurs who have the logos, the the little logo wall or Mm -hmm. row, you see entrepreneur and Forbes and by your own admission, you haven't read them before, but that's okay. You like totally recognize those publications and that they're kind of a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. So immediately, you know, one of the big things about media and just showing these logos on your website is first, like it proves that your business, your story, your expertise were basically vetted by some of the biggest platforms in the world. Mm -hmm. And so it is a form of social proof where immediately you see, ah, there is a lot of credibility here. Maybe this person actually does know what they're talking about in that specific industry or field or whatever they're um, specialized in. So the fact that so the logos you see for that specific entrepreneur and you recognize them, they're well targeted in at least figuring out which publications their audience, their ideal clients possibly would recognize. And that's just sort of lends to greater credibility and again, like a level of trust. Because at the end of the day, for how that impacts a business is we all like to do business or at least listen to pay attention to people we know and that we like. Mm. And by association, that's kind of the power of some social proof, right? You Mm -hmm. could not know somebody intimately, but these certain heuristics like, you know, these logos, for example, five-star reviews, testimonials from clients and customers, like all of those kind of point to just building this trust and credibility. Oh yeah. PR and copywriting have so much in common. And as you were describing what makes for an effective cold email and really putting yourself into the shoes of the recipient and leading with empathy and answering Mm -hmm. that question of like, not what's in it for me, but what's in it for them. And how can I communicate that and make that the focal point of the pitch. And I think it's the same with 
any kind of bid for attention, whether it's an email or a social media post, like the most successful ones are the ones that meet that person reading that email where they're at mm-hmm. and connecting with what it is they want and, and how you can help them make it happen. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I'm really glad you brought up that parallel between PR uh, and copywriting, because when I think about the pitches, when I think about placements, when I think about, you know, how do I think about this story? It is, it actually really helps if you have a copywriting and marketing background, because at the end of the day, pitching is selling. You're selling an idea you're selling your expertise or you're selling a story. And that's what a lot of media strategists like me do is just you're helping media people find stories that they may not find otherwise, but you also have to sell it. And so you need a compelling hook. You need to show what's in it for the editor. What is the story here? How does it benefit them? And there's just a lot of psychological aspects that go into it. Uh, For example, like you have to, there's like, uh, like a scarcity element too to your pitch. Like, is it exclusive? Is it um, timely? Is it something that they need to act on right now? And then you got to think about too the from a from an editor standpoint. If they did write about your story, is it going to make them look good? Is it going to be popular? Is it going to be traffic? Going to like bring a lot of traffic? So there are definitely a lot of elements that are similar to copywriting in just in terms of like selling it, thinking about the person you're writing to, and just also the right fit. Obviously, you write the pitch and the story to the right kind of editor. Even if you had the most amazing pitch and the most sale, most amazing sales pitch, if it's the wrong person, it's just not going to land either. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so many good points. And I love how you compare it to selling because it is. And I feel like we're always selling as online Mm -hmm. business owners, even when we're technically not, because we have to capture people's attention and time. And that requires a certain level of like, this is important. This is worth paying attention to, even if you're not paying Mm. dollars. But I'm curious. When it comes to PR and investing the time and energy as a business owner into selling your ideas, your story, or not yourself, but like the the elements that would put you into the spotlight of your brand, how do you track the ROI on that? Because it's certainly not as clear as sending say a sales email. Yeah. That's a that's a really, you know, that's the number one question people have about PR. And so I have a lot of thoughts about this. The first thing, you know, I'll just kind of address one of the objections that I often get are, you know, entrepreneurs like us, creators like us who maybe have heard from someone else uh, that they've done like PR and they're like, "Yeah, we got on Forbes." Um, and it was a great publication, but it did zero for our traffic. And then they do kind of discount PR. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things I would say to that is first, certain publications are more conducive to traffic than others. Forbes is certainly not one of them because they're such a big content farm. They have so many articles getting pushed down. And so there's no promotional space for all articles. Mm-hmm. That's like one thing to consider. Uh, And so there are other publications better suited if traffic is like the main ROI you're looking for. But then when you, but you kind of think about um, what else you're trying to do with media because traffic and exposure is just one aspect of media. The second thing is just that increased credibility, that elevated credibility in term that you don't get from just testimonials, from just you know, five-star reviews on YouTube or or not YouTube, what am I saying? YouTube on Yelp or something like that. You know, this is just about showing and not telling about your credibility and expertise. And because in our industry, we're all about knowledge and expertise and the biggest asset we have for conveying knowledge and that we really know our stuff is just increased credibility. 
So all signals pointing to credibility are really important to just drive your business forward. So, you know, when you have more credibility, maybe you can get on bigger and bigger podcasts, bigger and bigger publications, and more opportunities in general, maybe speaking opportunities. So these sort of just amplify the business in other ways because of like the opportunities and doors they open up that you might not get if you just continue, um, you know, just sending emails where the ROI is very, very clear. Mm. It's just different. And so actually one of the things, you know, one of the frameworks that I talk about with, with clients and just entrepreneurs in general, thinking about PR is that there, I call this the three levers of media. And it's basically thinking about what is actually going to move your business forward? Because I think most people, when they think about media, more exposure, that's, uh, that's actually what they're thinking about. Maybe kind of a vague goal of just more awareness, more exposure. And so what happens is that they kind of go after everything and anything, just no kind of, they, they don't make distinctions for Forbes or, you know, Huffington Post or Yahoo and all these different publications or even like niche publications or like very small, but like significant blogs within that space. They're just kind of going after everything. And so that what happens is that first they kind of spread their attention thin and their efforts thin, but all of that attention, if they did get it for, from all the work they're putting in, where is that going exactly? So they let all of that tension slip through. And, you know, one of the other mistakes I see people do is that they feel a little icky about self-promotion and talking about themselves and their story on such a big platform like media, right? Once you're sharing your story, you're not just kind of sharing it with a couple hundred, couple thousand, tens of thousands. You're like sharing with hundreds of thousands, possibly millions. Mm -hmm. So certain... Um, factors at play here. So what was the original question, Shanti? I feel like I got away from it. <laughs> yeah. But I'm happy to well, that was really helpful. Into... Like the ROI. And right. what I hear you're saying is like, there's, there's trackable ROI, certainly in the form of say like a traffic increase, but then there's ROI that's potentially a little bit harder to pin down. And yet we know that having certain logos and social proof of being featured in certain publications, it it's almost like a subconscious, on a subconscious level, the people in our sphere who come to our website and see those logos attach just a higher level of merit mm. to who we are, what we can teach them. And then that trickles into sort of everything. So it's like a broad ROI that sure, we can't say like having this Forbes logo on my website added $57,000 to my bottom line this year, but we know that it's valuable in a lot of different nuanced ways. Mm. Yeah. Like, mm. I was going to say, there's like a legitimacy to um knowing that so for me like a client that I might work with if they do have some a good I might I might not go read the articles but if they do have a nice social proof bar on their website I'm like okay this is a person who like might actually be able to take what I create for them for them and do something with it you know yeah yeah credibility and legitimacy and as a person who doesn't read those things, it still works with me, right? So I think that's so interesting. I also think something I was thinking about earlier, and then you touched on it. I wonder if provided you can, you know, you've got a good PR person, you can actually get into these publications. I wonder if it lets you have a little bit more control over your story and how it's portrayed and presented than if you're just like posting on your social media and, and sharing and sharing stories and things. It feels like, feels like it might give you a little bit more 
a little bit more control over how you're seen, depending on like, say, which publication you end up in even. Yeah, that's a really big strategic part of the process is, and I'll say, I'll preface this by saying like, there, you can't exactly control the exact headline. You can't control what quotes they'll use. Um, But there is a way to just sort of present the angle and the idea to them. And then, you know, if you, when, when clients get on calls with the journalist or the, the media person, you know, I coach them beforehand on the main talking points that they should touch on just mm-hmm. to make sure that they're focused on the angle that we're hoping for, that we're, we're mainly shooting for. Because, you know, there, there is like this effect, this phenomenon when you're talking to a journalist that you might ramble a little bit, you know, so just having some focused talking points is good because when you're on, when you're talking to a journalist or anyone in media, like basically they could use anything you say, mm. like it's most all of it, not all of it, but 99% of it is on the record. Um, and so they're, they're allowed to use any quotes. So I try to coach people on just sticking to certain bullet points and not needing to say more than they need to, unless the journalist has like follow-up questions. So that's like the interview style of media articles. And then there's another like style, I I guess I'll call it, is where you can actually write your own first person story and contribute it to places like Business Insider accepts those, like Entrepreneur does as well, uh, Forbes to an extent. So these articles are ones that you write and then you submit them as, you know, a contribution to that website, which is also just as as effective as getting your story onto media um, because you get to control the narrative. You get to control what you're talking about um, to to degree. And I will say that editors will edit and just kind of make sure, you know, you're not like openly promoting something or sharing things that are not true or accurate. Um, and they just need to edit it down to match their style on the publication. Mm-hmm. So as far as like accurately portraying you, it's never going to be the same as you posting your own blog post. Mm-hmm. Obviously you have your own voice, you have your own style. Um, but you know, on a big platform, you can work with the media to make sure that this is sort of the angle the story and quotes you want to emphasize. Just mm-hmm. keeping in mind that what you share is what they're allowed to use. Mm-hmm. So it's like the opposite of what I said. I was I was definitely thinking of it like as a writer that like, yep, you'd be pitching your own things that you'd be writing. Yeah, interesting. So it's like you actually have less control, but more chances of the people that you want to see these things to come see them. And now I'm more afraid. So let's make me less. <laughs> Unless you write the article though, right? Yes. Like that's a little bit of a different thing. And actually it's funny because when I was first started out on my own as a, I wasn't a copywriter. I was writing content mainly And my first ever like kind of package that I put together for clients was I will write you X number of articles a month and pitch them to the websites that you want to be featured on mainly so that they can get those logos and sure, get a bit of traffic and maybe some clients. And this was in the health and wellness space. So I would pitch to like, and I got a few published on like Mind Body Green and Green Med Info and like Huffington Post back when it was, uh, it was so different. And that was an experience. Let me tell you, like working with editors in that capacity, um, just how much work it was and what I was charging made absolutely no sense. Mm -hmm. And I could not stick with it. Like I couldn't find that match between like what clients were willing to pay and what I would have needed to charge to make it worthwhile to deliver on that promise to get them featured on the publications. Mm. So I don't know if that like is something you do with client stuff or how you work with people. I'm curious, but it was so much work. And yeah, at the end of the day, you don't know if the guest post that you wrote is going to be 
accepted. Yeah, there's definitely a certain element that, or actually a large majority of just media in general that is out of your control, anyone's control, really. And you can only control what you're pitching, how many pitches you're sending, and just like, you know, all the the parts of it that you're doing, right? You have no control over whether editors are responding, whether they're reading your emails, whether they want to do your story or when they're going to publish. So um, it's it's funny that you had that experience. It's definitely like a tricky balance to just tell clients like, there's no guarantee <laughs> this is, anything's going to happen. Like, unless... There are definitely firms uh, or con- or freelancers who do some like black hat stuff, which is just paying to have uh, certain articles um, get published. And the media gets really, really cracks down on that. And I really discourage people from ever looking in that direction of just like pay for play, basically, which I know can which I know happens in the podcast arena. But for media, it's very, very different because there's so many ethical lines that journalism needs to stand, uh, like uphold. So paying to play is just not a good way to go about it because if that ever got out, then the reputation, I think, just looks bad. There's like a lack of trust. I think it backfires. And then the other thing is if, you know, you did sponsored posts, which does happen, some publications will take articles if you basically sponsor them, uh, that's a very different article. It's not earned media, which again, also just changes the whole perception of, did you, did the media write about you because they really thought your story and expertise were something like different and special, or is it because you just had deep pockets and paid for it? Mm. But yes, that is a, a big part of media is just like, you don't know for sure 100% what's going to happen. And if people like guaranteed 100%, you might want to like ask more specifically what they're doing to guarantee those results. I get those emails and DMs all the time from, I don't know, people, companies that are like, pay us $500 and we'll get you featured on Forbes or whatever. I like never pay any attention to them because if it sounds too good to be true, it's probably is. Um, But you mentioned earlier that there are different tiers of media. And can you elaborate on what those are? So, So I'm curious for our listeners to be able to walk away with a sense of if I were to invest my time and energy into a PR strategy, what might make sense for me? Yeah, I'm glad we're revisiting that. So one of the things I mentioned is that's so easy to kind of just go after anything and everything. So there are a couple couple things to think about. So when I mentioned tiers, there are like different sort of, I guess, notoriety for certain publications like Forbes, for example, New York Times, Washington Post. These are all top tier mainstream publications. And so they're like the highest level and it makes sense that they're also the hardest to get into. So that's what I would mean by top tier uh, publication. But then there are also different media types. So I want to like spend some time talking about that because uh, each media type is going to serve a different purpose in your overall media strategy. So I've basically identified four main media types as they relate to an online business, like, you know, creator business. So there are those, the first media type is publications. We've talked about this already. This could be uh, Forbes, Entrepreneur, could also be Huffington Post, could also even be more niche publication. So the first one's just publications. The second is podcasts and YouTube, because most podcasts also have a YouTube channel now. So that's another media type I consider. Uh, And then there's guest posts, which is just posting on other people's either social media platform or um, their blog. And it's very much alive, still very effective way to grow 
your email list, especially when you're starting out. And then the fourth media type, which is kind of like the big one is just TV and print magazines. So if you think about it in terms of like the purpose, TV and print magazine would probably be the highest ultimate credibility builder because you're on such a massive mainstream platform, which is like national TV. Maybe we're talking like Today Show or Good Morning America. And it's not something I would recommend anyone go after like immediately from the get-go. Um, a lot of a lot of these places get so many requests, first of all, but also they also want to know who you are. So that's why this goes back to slowly building that credibility. If you've been on these other publications, these other magazines, you kind of also build this image for yourself for other media, you know, other journalists and uh, media people want to know that you didn't just pop out of a rock somewhere and say, I'm an expert. Like they want to know that you've been proven elsewhere. Uh, excuse me. So they're the TV print magazine, ultimate credibility uh, builder. And then for publications, that's probably publications and podcasts for our the two media types that I would recommend most people uh, focus on because the publication part, it helps build credibility. We've talked about this. That's leads to potential opportunities with like book deals, speaking gigs, and just really solidifying a certain sort of story that you have, a certain expertise that you have, the more publications you're in. So that helps build credibility. And then podcasts is just a great way to obviously broaden your reach to be on other people's platforms, but it also allows people to build a relationship with you so they can hear your ideas and your expertise more in depth and like the way you talk, the way your personality is. And so when you combine those two, like the publications with credibility and just podcasts where you can dive deep into the expertise, that just creates like this powerhouse of like, wow, I need to like follow this person because this person seems very legit. Uh, and podcasts are just in general great for uh, obviously promoting your knowledge, but also promoting a service or a product. Um, when I work with clients that are launching a book, podcasts are a huge, huge part of that strategy because it's a great place to move uh, units. Hmm. So interesting. I have a question in relation to this. Like, so when, what stage of business are you in when it's like time to actually start reaching out to say, let's just go with like podcasts and publications. Um, Cause like, I feel like it's too early for me. And yet I've been like, you know, doing this for a number of years now. So I wonder like, not what stage are you confident, but what stage should you start? Yeah. This is probably one of those like existential questions where it's like, when do I feel ready? And I think we all know that we never quite feel ready for that thing. Yeah. So I will say that it's never too, well, almost never too early to go for press because uh, like we kind of talked about, you can't control a lot of things and you don't know when certain stories will go live or if editors are even responding, that sort of thing. So by spending that time to at least wet your feet with talking to editors, connecting with them, you like start to build relationship and get comfortable with that. And I always say on the flip side, by the time you feel like you need media, it's kind of too late because you probably have some sort of timeline or a deadline. And mm. again, we can't control that timeline so closely. They're definitely, I've definitely worked with clients that are like, I need something in two to three months. And that is just, you know, to put it in perspective, like insanely fast. Okay. Just, you know, it's possible, but it's a, a lot of work and it's hard. Mm. Um, and it's something that we specialize in doing. Uh, so for clients who need something like really, really fast, it's a much harder ask. So if you don't have a timeline and you're like, you feel like you don't need it, I think that's honestly the best time to start. Okay. So follow up to that question is like, you keep talking about like story, right? Like what your story is that you're pitching and where do we get that story from? 
Yeah, that's a good question. And this is, you actually all have, yeah, every one of us has a story uh, already kind of sitting inside us, it's like right under your nose. So let's say, how did, how did you get started, Don? Like what's sort of your origin story here? Right. Yeah. My origin story is that I had a yoga studio and I had to learn about copywriting for it. So I bought a bunch of copywriting courses, went to some conferences, uh, met Shanti and um, started subcontracting for her, did some stuff on my own as well, and then worked for Shanti for a couple of years. Now we like collaborate on the podcast and life, but not necessarily like work. So that's like a, a short form of like what, what my story is. And actually that is what I share right now in relation to content about my business. Shanti, go, what do you got? Okay. If I was going to pitch your story, I would be like, how this ex yoga studio owner twisted her way into expert copywriter pose. Cute. (laughs) (laughs) Working the yoga into it. I love it. I think that is really interesting. The fact that you started as a yoga uh, studio owner, right? Mm -hmm. And what I want to know that makes this juicier is like, what happened in the studio in your journey with this business that prompted you to want to learn about copywriting and go to conferences there must have been some sort of impetus and maybe that's a starting point for where I would like start to pull apart your story and see what's first of all where's like kind of like the struggle the stakes Mm -hmm. because every story needs some stakes Mm -hmm. and people we want people to be rooting for you so where the stakes what did you learn Interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Just to like continue. So for me, it's like I inherited an email list and had to learn how to like my yoga studio was failing. So I had to learn how to make it not be failing. So that's like where like email marketing came in. Um, I was dating a dude in digital marketing. So like there's there's that as well. And then actually like my long term dream was to be a writer. So when I realized you could get paid to write, that was like, oh, cool. Well, teaching yoga is great, but being paid to write would be way closer to like, say, being a novelist than, uh, than you know, writing emails to sell workshops is. Is there anything from your yoga studio experience that you apply today? Sure. Yeah, I'm sure that I, I use that all of the time. A lot of what I do now actually is like project management, um, like on numerous levels. So like at the yoga studio, I had like, you know, 25 teachers and like eight front desk people and like that, that sort of stuff. And then of course, like empathy and uh, only doing work that feels good in your body, that, that sort of stuff too. Did you shut down the studio? I sold it uh, and then COVID uh, shut it down a, a couple of years. Like it okay. just shut down this year, but I would definitely attribute it to COVID. Well, I don't want to like feel like I'm probing too much mm-hmm. alive, but from what I gather, there seems to be several threads going on here. And the COVID, something like, did you feel... Are there, let's see, did you feel burnt out? Did What are some like crucial oh. lessons you learned from your yoga studio experience sure. that you I don't, would not yeah. do today? I don't like putting financial pressure on spirituality. That would be something that I, I learned largely, if that makes sense. But I still put financial pressure on creativity, which I think we kind, we kind of need to. But that's something that like, I would rather sell things that I believe in than for for other people. Uh, and I teach yoga and I don't even invoice now, although maybe I will, but like, I don't like, I still teach yoga, but like now it gets to be from like a place of giving as opposed to a place of grasping. Um, and I, I loved having the yoga studio, but it was, it felt financially graspy all the time. What did, what did you mean by financial pressure and spirit, spirituality, spirituality? Oh, well, so like in the olden days, in in like yogic times, uh, the like the the yogi or the sadhu is like you know lived a very like 
you know, small in terms of consumption life, but was totally supported by the community. Um, these days in the West, at least, like, I don't know, I had a like $7,000 a month lease plus paying for teachers and stuff like that. And people were like, you should be giving this for us to us for free, but like with love, you know, but it's, it's expensive to pay for. So like that part, I don't, although my life can be way more high pressure than it was then, it feels so much less stressful to just like be able to sell things that uh, have value rather than try and, um, and I think actually for lots of like transformational people who sell like transformational, like life coaches, that sort of thing. I think that can be hard to sell too. Like this, like esoteric, I'm trying to sell something esoteric and then put financial pressure on like something that feels like you'd rather gift it away is that's, that's what I like not to do anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, instead of gifting it away, you'd like to sell it. I would just rather sell something else that isn't mm. like, although I still think we should lead with heart and like spirit is so important. For sure. In everything we do. I would like, I, I don't know. I get paid 40 bucks to teach a yoga class. Like I, I would rather just like gift that money to the studio owner from my like play. Right. And, and then gift, gift the gift of practice to people now rather than like having to like say teach 30 classes a week in order to like pay rent and eat organic food or whatever. Hmm. So what I what I was just doing is just asking a bunch of questions. And yeah. like if you, you know, Shanti probably had some inkling of a story or multiple stories as she was listening. But like we all have so many stories in us. It is just a matter of like asking the right questions and thinking like mm -hmm. to us, maybe it doesn't feel that spectacular because we're, we're used to it and we've kind of just lived that story, but to somebody else reading, maybe they, that it's like super interesting because one it's, there's something, um, maybe they, they relate to it. You know, they, they're probably in a similar headspace with whatever you've been uh, experiencing or feeling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for media, there's, you typically want to just share your story, but also share like a main takeaways um, that you've learned. Mm -hmm. So this is just to say that we all have stories. Mm -hmm. um, for example, I, one of the stories I share a lot in the media that I wrote a, a lot of articles on an infinite number of ways, like on Lifehacker, uh, went to New York Times and Thrillist and Business Insider is my experiences as a digital nomad. And this was back before the pandemic and everyone was working remotely. So it was very, at the time, more novel than it is now. Mm -hmm. And so that experience to me, you know, is something I lived and maybe I knew there was an element of like intrigue and like, whoa, like people want to read about this. And so I shared like an experience on Lifehacker Then I wrote about it again, but shared a different experience, a different angle. Mm -hmm. uh, and then just wrote, kept, you know, from this one experience in life spawned like dozens of angles, dozens of just different perspectives and lessons to share and takeaways and it all went over really well. Mm. I love that because you kind of answered another question that had me thinking like, how many times do we share that same story? Like, I think I, I you know, I know like Shandi can feel me on that. Cause a lot of people will be like, how did you get into quizzes? Right. And then she has to tell this, like, well, I had a food block, you know, and I could tell it, I'm not going to uh, right now, but and it's like each time you keep getting asked to share even or like each time you visit or you uh, like guest on another podcast, they ask sort of the same question. Right. So like, is there a point when it's time for a different story? I say that you take the same story and tell it over and over again. And really, when it comes to media or just just building a personal brand that's very visible, you only need a handful of stories, like a handful of key experiences and things you wanted to say, but maybe you tell it a little bit differently every time mm -hmm. until you kind of reach a point where you know the high notes, you know people's reactions, you know what would 
best present yourself and your story. So it's just, it's honestly too much work to have to come up with a new story and a new background every time, because if one story works and if people keep asking about that story, Hmm. you know, you should stick with that story. And the other thing to think about is that even if you have yourself have been telling the story for like dozens and dozens of times and you feel tired of saying it, it's fresh for most people still. There are like 7 billion people in the world. So it couldn't possibly be that everyone has heard your story. I love that. Yeah. And to relate it back to selling, I think there's even more parallels there because, you know, like if you have an offer that works, you keep, you just rinse and repeat, you sell that same offer. Maybe you change up the emails and the sales page and the pitch, but you are selling the same core offer again and again and again. And of course, as a creator, there's this impetus to like, you could create anything. There's so many ideas floating around in your head and there's so many stories floating around in our heads. And yet as business owners, we have to come back to like, what works and repeat the process. And yes, I have told that story of how I, the first quiz I created, I got 10,000 leads with a $500 ad spend. And I have pitched that to so many podcasts and, and it just works. It just is like one kind of case study that people are like, tell me more. Mm -hmm. And I have more of those now. But it's still, even after all these years, still captures people's attention and works. And yeah, even though on a personal level, I'm like, oh my God, people must be so sick of hearing me talk about this. But then you're right. Like the majority of people have never heard of you, have no idea who you are. And the people who do are like, oh, I've heard this story, like tune out, whatever. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's such a funny thing. But Dawn, I, yeah, I could pull out like 10 stories from what you just said. Like you could hire me as your PR strategist. I always want to hire you for everything. It's you to, yeah. Okay. You should, you should definitely, Shanti, you should definitely pitch that story to Business Insider. Like that's cool. Do you have like concrete numbers? It's kind of weird because, you know, they don't understand uh, conversion funnels that use a quiz. So it's yeah. like a weird, interesting way to build a business, uh, generate revenue. And that's your specialty. And then people are like, wow, that's a very like interesting specialty. So I was going to say like, Shanti, have you ever pitched any publications? I am big on the podcast mm-hmm. front, yeah, but I have not since my like days where I was doing that for other people. Yeah. That's really aside from like copy hackers Mm. and doing a guest post on copy hackers, um, which was very successful. Mm. Like I got so many amazing subscribers from that one post years ago. I love it. So yeah, you're right. I should. Yeah. It's such a, yeah. Just what made you say business insider? That's another thing I think our listeners would want to know. It's like you heard that story and then you're like, oh, that would be right for business insider. So how do people who aren't necessarily ready to hire you, although they probably should, um, but how do how do they know who fits their story? Yeah, this obviously has come from experience and practice Mm. and having done it for other people. Um, But, you know, for someone who is just getting started, I would say you read. uh, I'm sure, first of all, I'm sure certain publications come to mind, right? For, oh, where should I get, where should I pitch my article or a story? I'm sure some publications come to mind. And next step after that is to actually read the publication and like really, really read the headlines, the stories that they share. And then you can start to see like, oh, does my story is, do they talk about quizzes? Do they talk about entrepreneurship? Do they talk about conversion funnels? Do they talk about email marketing? Like just making sure that this publication actually does talk about the story that you have in mind and 
your expertise and your background. Like it's related at least. So that's the key thing is to really, you know, spend, I'd say 20 to 30 minutes writing or sorry, not writing, (laughs) reading (laughs) and just figuring out like, have they written stories about, you know, other people? Have they done something like what I'm thinking about? And so you just have to do that due diligence. There's never like a crystal ball on like, oh yeah, this is the match. Mm. There's a little like due diligence and just, and it might come from more experience. It gets easier. I just had a quiz idea for your business, which is like, what publication do you need to pitch? (laughs) And then (laughs) I'll just, I'll leave that there. Um, (laughs) That's a good one. It could be a good lead magnet anyway, depending on, and actually this is uh, one of our questions, but like, how do you usually work with people? Like how, I was going to say, depending on whether or not you want beginner entrepreneurs or people further along that, that might work, but yeah, how, say I was going to like, you know, steal myself and decide that I wanted to be in the media in some way, how would I work with you? Yeah. Um, well, there are a couple ways to work with me. Clout Monster has, you know, one of the things I do is I create training like courses to just teach people. So if they wanted to figure it out on their own and figure out or like at least learn how I think about things and how I would approach my entire media philosophy and things like that, you know, that's an option. If they wanted more hands-on help, I have a couple like tracks basically is like, one of the things you you touched on was like, who do I talk to? Who do I, what are all the editors? What are all the possible publications? Are these worth my time? Mm-hmm. So one of the tracks is that I help you figure out all of that stuff, all like who to talk to, what stories you have, what angles are going to be appealing to media, but also kind of strengthen and help you position your business well in the media and as far as mainstream stuff goes. Um, and then helping you craft those pitches so you know exactly what to do. You won't spend hours and hours like going down the Google rabbit hole and stuff like that. Mm. And then for like bigger businesses, they could hire us to be their almost like deploy us as their in-house PR team. So mm. there's like basically several different tiers of uh, services that we offer to help um, biz- businesses of different sizes and like different goals and resources. Cool. We had a client last year who got their quiz in, was it like Yahoo or something, Shanti? Like in a couple of places. And I was like, I was like, I have no idea how that would happen. And Shanti was like, oh, they've got a really great PR team. And I was like, oh yeah. Like what? Like, I wonder. Yeah. It wasn't. Was it a quiz that you created? Mm. Dang, you should definitely claim that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that should be in your story now or like part of your bio. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 I I know. I was like, oh, how did how did she do that? Oh, right. She probably has an awesome PR team. Um <laughs> awesome PR people can make magic happen. I've mm-hmm. seen it. I would love to like just finish us off with potentially stuff if you're up for it like one of your favorite stories of a client that you've worked with that you've helped establish themselves as an expert in the media. Yeah. I, so I do have like this story that is kind of also demonstrative of just how, when you're the person with stories and expertise is how difficult it is to kind of spot what's like, Oh, that's great. That's a great story for media. So this story, uh, I used to work with uh, Ramit Sethi of I Will Teach You To Be Rich. And at the time, he had his second, the second edition of his book was coming out in 2019. So I led uh, his PR efforts uh, to that book or for that book, which eventually landed in New York Times bestseller. But there was one instance where, you know, we're ramping up the PR campaign, we're ramping up just more media placements. And uh, one day on Slack, he just sends me like the screenshot and it was a screenshot of his portfolio. And it was just like uh, market losses, gains. And then under that was 
negative (laughs) $75,000. And I'm like, holy crap, what's going on? I'm like, is, are you okay? He's like, yeah, the market's down. I'm like, are you upset about it? And he's like, no, I'm more worried about what I'm going to watch on Netflix. (laughs) And so here I am thinking my editor's senses are tingling because what's happening in the world also is that the stock market was uh, dipping and crashing. And so Twitter was like freaking out with people panicking and like, oh my gosh, I'm losing a lot of money. And so here's like the juxtaposition of that with Ramit showing me the screenshot of losing $75,000 in a day and him not batting an eyelid. I was like, this is a story here. This is a story. And so I pitched that to Business Insider and we it was published within like a couple hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and that story got picked up by Washington Post and that got syndicated on, other, or not Washington Post, was it? I think it was Washington Post. And that got syndicated on other platforms. So that's just one example. Like I, I thought it was a funnier example of just like him, his his attitude about it. But that's just an example of, you know, things that we do with clients on, and, and just also an example of how difficult it can be to pull out your own stories and figure out what's media worthy mm. with, you know, PR, we mentioned that PR teams like work miracles sometimes. Uh, it's just that they're really good at spotting stories, really good at figuring out what's like the good juicy stuff here. Mm. Um, earlier, um, before we started the podcast, we decided that we were our, each other's people because of bike raves. But I think that, uh, based on your love of stories, uh, you are definitely our, our people, our person. So yeah, I, yeah, I love that. That's like just being, it's, it, cause it's the same in conversion copywriting. Like people are like, oh, long copy. You shouldn't have long copy, but it's like truly like stories that like relate and resonate with people that actually move people to take an action. Right. So also uh, I should have known this already, but I, the idea that a story that you pitch to someone like business insider can get picked up by like such a large, like, yeah, something like Washington post or what have you, that's kind of a neat bit of like, like ROI that you can't count on, but, uh, that, and I think that's more like what I meant of like being in control too, is like, if you can get yourself into these places, you're not relying on like a viral TikTok dance to get yourself seen. You're actually like able to, to, to resonate with people and then get picked up and broadcast in an even larger sphere. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what it, uh, what I was alluding to when it just, by being visible on certain platforms, it just opens you up to more opportunities, which mean, which could possibly mean more placements on other platforms organically. You didn't have to do anything. Uh, or you can actually do something and like pitch that article to other places that might might want to cover it. Yeah. So cool. Okay. Stephanie, where can we learn more from you? Because you are brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we have only just skimmed the surface this whole conversation. And you've got some, you've got some cool resources. So where can people find out more? Yeah. The main place that people can find out more or hear from me is my newsletter. It's called TLDR. uh, And I write a weekly newsletter, basically breaking down a lot of the stuff we talked about into like bite-sized stuff and just talk about media trends and pitch breakdowns. I even show examples and things like that. Uh, So people can find me there. Uh, through and if to sign up, I actually have uh, like a special bonus for you guys. We've talked a lot about pitching, so I actually want to show a behind-the-scenes pitch. This was a cold pitch, no connections, no nothing. It was just ex- just straight cold to uh, an editor at Entrepreneur.com, uh, and that resulted in an article um, for a client. So. I'm showing that, you know, the full pitch uh, in this bonus at um, cloudmaster.com slash bonus hyphen pitch. I love it. Mm -hmm. All right. We will include that link in the show notes. And thank you so much for Mm -hmm. being here and sharing your wisdom. I learned a ton. Yeah. 
meet you. Yeah, it was fun good. talking to you guys. Yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you. Whoa, look at you listening to the very end. We are so deeply grateful for you and borderline obsessed with hearing what resonated most and how you're taking the seeds planted in these conversations and sowing them in your life and business. It would mean more than you know if you would share this episode with a friend or subscribe, rate, leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Your reviews tell the algos behind the apps that we are worth pressing play on. So please, if you're feeling generous, take two minutes to share the love. And if you are curious around what your unique advantage is in this wild and wacky online world, take the unfair advantage quiz at shantyzack.com forward slash UA quiz. And thank you again, sunshine. Go light up the world and we'll see you next time.